knowing. All right, now welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is hour one of episode 524. It's me and Jason today, and we're tackling the age-old favorite, the New World Order. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a hot good morning. Uh, shall we kick this dead horse? I guess the horse isn't quite dead yet, but let's kick it anyhow. Uh, so much going on. You know, before we started recording, we were talking about the Hyatt Millennium at Ground Zero, which I guess is no longer a Hyatt. Go ahead and try to look up that hotel just adjacent to the towers that were knocked over. It was openly admitted back in the day on their website, actually advertised that they built that hotel in shape of the monolith from the movie 2001 a space odyssey isn't it interesting that the monolith from the movie is shaping mankind and then they build at ground zero a hotel that's in the shape of the monolith from the movie 2001 then they name it the millennium 9-11 happens on the real millennium because the year 2000 was not the millennium there was no year zero so actually 9-11 happened at the millennium change they initially named that hotel the Millennium with one N. So I don't know how many people could spell Millennium off the top of their head, but they misspelled it. They removed an N, which I believe brings the, the, the just typical numerology to nine. Now that they've relaunched it, they claim damage, shut it down. I think it was reopened in 2017, got new management in 22. Uh, they changed the name back to the correct spelling of the millennium. So it's M-I-L-L and then two N's instead of one N. Of course, the two L's bring 33 into the name. It's it's unreal what's done right in front of our faces, but here's the real, the real kick in the side of the head. You can't look up almost anything about this. You can't find hardly anywhere that it was intentionally built after the monolith from the film 2001, and they've pretty much scrubbed the internet. Anyhow, Jason, I figured I'd jam that into the opening. Yeah, it was a Hilton, the Hilton Millennium, but now apparently it's under new management, whatever that means. So if you want to look it up, it's the Hilton Millennium, New York 1 UN Plaza looks like is the address. United Nations Plaza. I think there's a two United Nations Plaza too. And I said, hi, it is Hilton. I found some stuff that hinted that BlackRock may now own it, but I'm not sure. Uh, everything's been scrubbed, but I mean, come on, man, you go from a Hollywood film, this object that shapes the future and the evolution of mankind, you build a hotel called the millennium on the millennium where the event, I mean, on and on we go. And anyhow, maybe we should jump into the, uh, (laughs) the main topic at hand. Although what we're talking about is the main topic at hand. So the mainstream says that the New World Order conspiracy theory argues that a shadowy elite force is trying to implement a totalitarian world government. Proponents of the New World Order conspiracy believe a cabal of powerful elite figures wielding great political and economic power is conspiring to implement a totalitarian one-world government. It is believed that this is taking place through a grand ongoing conspiracy to influence the media, press, civil society, and democracy from the shadows. Many major world events and crises are attributed to the New World Order. Is this still a conspiracy? I mean, it's it's really just kind of out in the open. And you and I are about to cover some of the work that Jordan Maxwell did because it makes sense. You know, we're covering what Cooper did. Uh, if we cover 
what Maxwell did. We can tie it all back around in a circle. We can tie it to all the legal episodes we've done, and we can show that there's a there there. But even the word, if you want to use the work that uh, Maxwell did, the word L-leak, well, the way he broke it out was L would be referencing Saturn. So basically, it's L light. On and on we go here. And everywhere you look at this, they attach conspiracy to it, which is ironic because it is a conspiracy, just not the people covering it. The conspiracy is the thing that we are talking about. Let's speak for a moment, not on Bill Cooper, but on Dr. John Coleman. In 1992, he published Conspirators Hierarchy, the story of the Committee of 300. In this book, Dr. Coleman identified the players and detailed the New World Order agenda of worldwide domination and control, and he accurately summarized the intent and purpose of the Committee of 300 as follows. A one-world government and one-unit monetary system under permanent, non-elected, hereditary oligarchists who self-select from among their numbers in the form of a feudal system as it was in the Middle Ages. In this one-world entity, population will be limited by restrictions on the number of children per family, diseases, wars, famines, until one billion people who are useful to the ruling class in areas which will be strictly and clearly defined remain as the total world population. There will be no middle class, only rulers and the servants. All laws will be uniform under a legal system of world courts, practicing the same unified code of laws backed up by a one-world government police force and a one-world unified military to enforce laws in all former countries where no national boundaries shall exist. The system will be on the basis of a welfare state. Those who are obedient and subservient to the one-world government will be rewarded with the means to live. Those who are rebellious will simply be starved to death or be declared outlaws, thus a target for anyone who wishes to kill them. Privately owned firearms or weapons of any kind will be prohibited. So that all sounds pretty stark and people probably be rolling their eyes, but here's the problem. You can read Coleman's book and damn near everything he said is behind us now, so much of it, and it happened. Uh, You could argue, how did he get the information? You could argue, how did it get published? I don't think any of it matters. Uh, What does matter is hindsight is 2020 and damn near everything he said came to pass. By the way, as far as I know, Coleman is the first person uh, who wrote down on paper that the Beatles were a Tavistock construct, even naming the man Theodoro Adorno, who wrote the music or who had a a hand in writing the music. And this is all just now coming to light. And even when you cover things like the Beatles now, people won't accept it. But what's happened here is he wrote down what we can see has actually happened. By the way, you should hear Fortune uh, talk about this man in this book because he knows a lot, directly knows a lot of the people who have been fingered in here. And he agrees with me that damn near 90% of what was written in there has already happened. AtlanticCouncil.org, June 21st, 2023. China's Blueprint for the New World Order. The Atlantic Council's Global China Hub is pleased to host the launch of a new report, Global Development Initiative and Global Security Initiative, China's Blueprint 
for the New World Order, authored by non-resident senior fellows Michael Schumann and Jonathan Fulton, as well as non-resident fellow Tuvia Gehring. This virtual public event will take place on Wednesday, June 21st at 9 a.m. Eastern on Zoom. In March 2023, China stunned the world by achieving an unexpected diplomatic breakthrough, the brokering of an agreement between Saudi Arabia and Iran to restore diplomatic relations. The deal was hailed by Beijing as a successful application of the Global Security Initiative. First proposed by Xi Jinping in April 2022 and further articulated in a February 2023 concept paper, the GSI is a manifesto for an alternative system to the current rules-based international order led by the United States and its partners. Oh, it's amazing. You mean these people who couldn't even talk can suddenly talk? Let me tell you something. All wars, all strife, all anything, nation to nation is a put up. And while there will be people who think it's real, who are in the governments, who act as if it is real, above it all, it's a construct. In the episode image that I'm making for this episode, you will notice that I marked the takeover from World War I forward. And that's about how I see the modern chess game that has done the takeover beginning with World War I. Think of all the people who are working on ideas like Tatarian mud flood and what's clear regardless of what you agree or disagree on, it's clear that the old world has been scrubbed right from our history books and right from under our noses. Well, how do you figure things like World War I and World War II play into such things? All of a sudden, the borders are open, armies are doing whatever they want. They're always raiding the museums and other places that would hold keys to our past. What I'm saying here is if, in fact, China and the United States were at odds. How could this new world, one world order ever come to be? It's all a construct. It's all a put up. And until we learn to turn off the news and accept the nonsense that comes to us from the news, we're going to be pawns in the game. As president, I would work toward international creation of a new world order, quoted from Nelson Rockefeller in 1968 as governor of New York. Nelson made several more statements like this, but the amusing thing is how many years before the more well-known George H.W. Bush quotes that these are. Was it 92 for George Bush, the senior? Do you remember? I know it's- I think 89 was the first one, and then several more times over the next few years, he said something similar. So I don't know if I remember correctly. I thought it was in 92, which would be a 9-11 encode because the two turns the nine into an 11 in a speech on 9-11 in 92 that he uttered among the other times, the new world order. But clearly the Rockefeller hasn't beat 1968 is a long time ago, almost my entire lifetime. Give me control over a nation's currency and I care not who makes its laws. Mayor Amschel Rothschild, who lived from 1743 to 1812. So that's quite a while ago. What Mr. Rothschild had discovered was the basic principle of power, influence, and control over people as applied to economics. That principle is, when you assume the appearance of power, people soon give it to you. Well, yes and yes, I guess you can say that. But when you control the money, it's not just the appearance of power you control the currency. And so now let's think about the alchemical wordplay that's been assigned to all this. A bank, like the banks of a river. Current, currency. 
uh, you're making a charge, like an electrical charge when you're being charged, which also plays over into law. You'll get a ticket and then you'll be charged. All of this is playing on the truths of nature and being abrogated for control. But here you can see it was a hell of a long time ago, the mid, almost mid 1700s, uh, when they made their bid to take over world banking. Mr. Rothschild had discovered that currency or deposit loan accounts had the required appearance of power that could be used to induce people, inductance with people corresponding to a magnetic field, into surrendering their real wealth in exchange for a promise of greater wealth instead of real compensation. They would put up real collateral in exchange for a loan of promissory notes. Mr. Rothschild found that he could issue more notes than he had backing for, so long as he had someone's stock of gold as a persuader to show to his customers. Mr. Rothschild loaned his promissory notes to individuals and to governments. These would create overconfidence. Then he would make money scarce, tighten control of the system, and collect the collateral through the obligation of contracts. The cycle was then repeated. These pressures could be used to ignite a war. Then he would control the availability of currency to determine who would win the war. That government, which agreed to give him control of its economic system, got his support. Collection of debts was guaranteed by economic aid to the enemy of the debtor. The profit derived from this economic methodology made Mr. Rothschild all the more able to extend his wealth. He found that the public greed would allow currency to be printed by government order beyond the limits, inflation, of backing in precious metal or the production of goods and services, the Gross National Product, or GNP. It's all well and good, and we can see that what's being said here has been implemented time and time again, but there's a dark part of this that's not being covered. Does everyone remember the reason why we supposedly think 13 is an unlucky number, which, by the way, often represents the sun? So that's an abrogation of the truths that are given to us in nature. We're being taught by a representative symbol, typically related with the sun, is a negative thing. It's like the idea of hell. It came from Helios. Originally, that three-letter intro was all positive words before the Catholic Church had its way. But to get back to the point, it's because of the Knights Templar, we are told. They got richer than a king, or they had a king on the hook for too much debt, or whichever story you want to listen to, it's about money. So what did the king do? He whacked them. And even though there's problems with this story, because that happened in one country, so it didn't in any way eliminate the Knights Templar everywhere. But my point being, why the hell hasn't someone done this to Rothschild? What the king of, what was it, France? Was it King Charles? I don't remember. King Philip IV of France, I believe. Yeah. Why? What he did to the Templars, why hasn't someone done that to the Rothschilds? They have armies. They have all the power. They have all the enforcement. It's saying right here in the plain account that the way they collect from the guy who loses is because they're paying the guy who won. So there's your, your might to collect. So how is it? That no one's ever said, you know what, we've had enough of this guy playing money games. What is the dark secret that keeps him safe? And I suspect there's a little black magic going on there, or Lord knows, but it doesn't make sense on the face of it. There must have been endless people in power over the centuries who had had more than enough and had the military might to do something about it, and yet they didn't. Why? 
So what does this come down to? Mr. Rothschild had discovered that currency gave him the power to rearrange the economic structure to his own advantage, to shift economic inductance to those economic positions which would encourage the greatest economic instability and oscillation. The final key to economic control had to wait until there was sufficient data and high-speed computing equipment to keep close watch on the economic oscillations created by price shocking and excess paper energy credits, paper inductance inflation. I would estimate that with all that wealth from so many centuries ago, they got old world information. I would suspect that they know some of the secrets of alchemy probably black magic, almost certainly, and other things. When you begin using money or gold and silver or notes, however you want to slice it, and somehow it becomes the idea of induction, now you've crossed over. Now you're talking about spells and using what is true of nature to be abrogated into the will of men. There's something more than meets the eye going on here. And you can detect it in the language. At what point did words like inductance, at what point did the word bank, uh, like a river bank, at what point did all these natural aspects of our world get misformed or mismanaged into the money game in order to control the world? Now let's jump over to the United States. After the American Civil War, the District of Columbia Organic Act was passed in 1871 to create a private corporation that is owned and operated by the actual government for the purpose of carrying out the business needs of the government under martial law. This was done under the constitutional authority for Congress to pass any law within the 10-mile square of Washington, District of Columbia. Other than the fracturing of the country itself by the Civil War, this act plunged a dagger into the heart of the country and government that was originally set up by the Founding Fathers. For my money, Jason, we'd lost it long before this, but I think it's described exactly right here. Uh, We've had others like KL come on and run the history down and show that the slave narrative was clearly a part of it. But what we don't hear is the debt narrative, which is a key part of what happened right here. And again, let's ask the simple question. Why did people allow the banksters to force their hand and all these things? How come no one ever marshaled up their little military or their secret forces, their ninjas, their Delta forces? How come no one ever took them out? And I think that's really the main story. And why are they still doing it now? We're at a point now where all the people who are complicit in removing the freedoms of the world because they wanted to keep their job or because they're delusional or because they watch too much television news or whatever the reason might be, are slowly but surely waking up now and realizing what they have helped forward is going to include what they have to deal with, what their family has to deal with. This is all coming home to roost now. So we could ask the question, how come people in positions of power don't ever seem to stand against this? In 1913, the Federal Reserve, which is neither federal or a reserve, is created, which completed the murder of the United States. The Federal Reserve banking system was planned at a secret meeting in 1910 on Jekyll Island, Georgia, by a group of bankers and politicians. This transferred the power to create money from the American government to a private group of bankers. It is probably the largest 
generator of debt in the world. All right, now we can start to answer the question that I've been asking. And if you go back and read James Shelby Downard, he's on Jekyll Island at one point, and he covers some of the things that happened there. But if we move it forward, by the way, he talks about people being forced to give each other oral sex according to hierarchy. And according to Downard, this is linked to what he calls animal magnetism. If we roll this forward to what we see going on in the Southwest with the idea of a ley line, uh, what we're dealing, maybe it's well described as animal magnetism. It's a form of magic or what appears to be magic to us because most of us don't understand it. Maybe it should simply be natural science, but it's become black magic because people use it and they use it to their own ends at the expense of others. So there's the line that's being drawn. And somehow the protection seems to stand century after century around these people doing basically whatever the hell they want. But I think it's important for those who have looked at James Shelby Downard's work to comprehend that he does have something to say about Jekyll Island and the people who were there. And I think it's from some of it is witnessed by him, if I remember correctly. On December 15th, 1922, the Council on Foreign Relations endorsed the concept of world government in its magazine, Foreign Affairs. Author Philip Kerr states, Obviously, there is going to be no peace or prosperity for mankind as long as the earth remains divided into 50 or 60 independent states until some kind of international system is created. The real problem today is that of the world government. All right, let's call a spade a spade. Uh, no peace, no prosperity. It seems to me like the people who run the joint are the ones who create the wars. As a matter of fact, World War I, which probably is one of the most significant turning points in modern history of what we used to be in the so-called old world and what we have become now. I think the real division, the dividing line is right there. That's really where the tipping point starts to go in a different direction. Now, in modern, modern history, I marketed JFK, where now it's just open mayhem in my lifetime. From the moment I'm born, basically, a month before I'm born till now, it's been open mayhem. But my point would be, is their argument is no one can ever get along, except the problem is, is the people in power are the ones who ensure that no one can ever get along, who force a war any which way they want. And then the banks force the outcome. If they want one side to win, they fund it. If they don't want one side, they don't fund it. In other words, it doesn't take a genius to comprehend that if someone wanted peace, they could simply not fund war and war would not occur. In 1939, the novel New World Order is published by known globalist H.G. Wells, who proposed a collectivist one-world state or New World Order comprised of socialist democracies. He advocated universal conscription for service and declares that nationalist individualism is the world's disease. He continues, the manifest necessity for some collective world control to eliminate warfare and the less generally admitted necessity for a collective control of the economic and biological life of mankind are aspects of one and the same process. He proposes that this be accomplished through universal law and propaganda or education. You know, we can call this what it is. It's dark. It's ugly. It's unfair. It's evil. It's a lot of things. 
but we've been asleep at the switch. How is it that a known globalist actually ends up putting forth some of the classic literature in our time? How is it that people connected to these circles to this day, my sister uh, is a librarian and I asked her the other day, are the kids still reading what I had to read, 1984, Animal Farm, all these New World Order titles? And she said, yes. How is it that that has gone on? We've been asleep at the switch. And this is the real problem. The real underlying problem is we can complain, we can bitch, we can moan, but this has been allowed to happen by people who should have known better. And that is a hard thing to get out from under. And in no way does it make anything okay about what we're covering, but it does make us complicit, all of us, the 2020 thing. Here, you guys do this, cover up your spirit. Okay, I better cover my spirit. I didn't have a choice to cover me. Yes, you did. Well, I would have lost my job. Doesn't matter. You still had a choice. And that's how this happens because the keeping of a job or the perceived downside seems to quite often force the necessity to go along with the narrative. And this is the problem. The people creating these narratives, they are not stupid people. As a matter of fact, they are probably what we would call illuminated above the 33rd degree. They probably have activated pineal glands. And so when we come back around to what's going on here, there must be a line in the sand at some point when people no longer go along with this. Otherwise, you know, what was it, Einstein? You do the same thing over and over and expect change. That's the definition of insanity. But here it is, 1939, he's writing a book called The New World Order. And still to this day, in any think tank or any scholarship arena, they're going to look at H.G. Wells as a great man. He's not a great man. He's in this conspiracy to take over the world. You know, you got to wonder just who the heck he was hanging out with, because that book is not the only sort of thing that he pushed that was in this same vein. Right. And, you know, some of it's in in our schools and has been right along. As a matter of fact, uh, I just noticed because I'm to the point where I can't even watch movies anymore unless I watch old movies, because then at least the programming mostly doesn't fit the time I'm in and the programming is not as much or as severe as it is now. They just remade War of the Worlds again. How many times has that freaking movie been made? They pedestal their little evildoers, their little ninjas in the soup. I think, what was it? The last one around it was, uh, was it Spielberg and Cruise? Is that right? Is it Spielberg and Tom Cruise did War of the Worlds last time around? Yep. And the narratives are there. What beats the, the nasty invaders? Oh, well, it's the germs, right? The germs no one can see. Well, that's also what caused 2020. The germs no one can see. After the First World War, there was an attempt to create a unified governing body called the League of Nations. This, however, did not fly with many of the independent nations of the world, and it took another world war and all of its decimating horrors to hook many of the world's countries to sign on to what was now being called the United Nations. Which will be the authority of our downfall in the not-too-distant future unless something changes. And let me rewrite this. They created the League of Nations and it failed because there were still high-minded adults in the world that said, you're out of your freaking cotton-picking mind. And then this paragraph goes on to rightly point out that's part of the reason we got another world war. 
because when a world war happens, they basically get whatever they want. They move chess pieces at will. They topple economies. They scrub buildings. They add buildings. They steal antiquities. They remove governance. They add governance. They occupy nations. They do whatever the hell they want. And so, again, one of the underlying commiserations that the New World Order seekers is, well, we've got to end war. And here they are causing it to get their ends. And here, for all intents and appearances, they went for the League of Nations and there were too many people that were grown up in the world to allow it to happen. So they had to go bash things around a little more with another world war and Lord knows what else. Less than two months after the end of World War II in 1945, the United Nations officially came into existence. On October 24th, 1949, four years after the charter went into effect, the cornerstone was laid for the UN headquarters building near the East River in mid-Manhattan. Nelson Rockefeller arranged for the purchase after an initial offer to locate it on the Rockefeller family estate in Westchester County was rejected as being too far from New York City. The $83.4 million purchase, as adjusted to approximately reflect current dollars, was funded by Nelson Rockefeller's father, John D. Rockefeller Jr., who donated the land to the city. As a note of interest, the UN headquarters complex in New York remains an extraterritorial site that remains beyond the jurisdictional reach of the surrounding city and state as well as the federal government. In exchange for police and fire protection and other essential services, the UN, however, has agreed to abide by most local, state, and federal laws. It's always the same players. Jason, we know some of the people who have tracked these names back to show that the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds are branch of the same bloodline, that they probably go back, what is it, to the Orsini family, I think, in Rome. So in and around the papacy, probably going all the way back to what we would call ancient Rome. But here we are, the United Nations. And uh, what did we open with? Remember the Millennium Hotel that was built after the monolith from the hoax movie that set up the fake moon landing, 2001, A Space Odyssey, that monolith that shaped the future of mankind. Where does it sit now? Well, as far as I know, and it's hard to confirm, um, but I'm reasonably sure it's in the United Nations Plaza. And all the history of that building has been scrubbed away compared to what it used to be. It's the same players over and over, and it appears to be the same bloodlines. But the United Nations is a problem. It's a serious problem that's going to shape whatever comes of our time. Social engineering, the analysis and automation of a society, requires the correlation of great amounts of constantly changing economic information or data. So a high-speed computerized data processing system was necessary, which could race ahead of the society and predict when society would arrive for capitulation. Relay computers were too slow, but the electronic computer invented in 1946 by J. Presper Eckert and John W. Motchley filled the bill. The next breakthrough was the development of the simplex method of linear programming in 1947 by the mathematician George B. Danzig. In 1948, the transistor was invented by J. Bardeen, W. H. Brattain, and W. Shockley, which promised great expansion of the computer field by reducing space and power requirements. With these three inventions under their direction, those in positions of power strongly suspected 
that it was possible for them to control the whole world with the push of a button. Immediately, the Rockefeller Foundation got in on the ground floor by making a four-year grant to Harvard College, funding the Harvard Economic Research Project for the study of the structure of the American economy. One year later, which takes us to 1949, the United States Air Force joined in. This has been a tight, tight spot for a long, long time. Jason and I have covered how early on the universities were taken over, and here's another example of that. So basically, they're taking monopoly money. It's not quite monopoly money, not until, what, 72? Then it's absolutely 100% monopoly money. But they're taking monopoly money, and they're basically controlling who gets the money to research what at the university level, which in this country used to be the highest level of research, which we know is not true any longer because corporations have replaced the highest level of everything that exists now. But all the way back in 49, here they are controlling what's to come of the future of technology, basically by funding and stepping into Harvard. I don't even think MIT is a thing yet at this point, but I'm not sure. So it looked like the controllers were really thinking ahead here. First, they got control of the money. Then they used that money to get control of the technology. And here we are today. I think there's a huge tell in um, the Winter Soldier. There's a number of huge tells. If I remember correctly, they inform you that some German guy back in, I think it's the 30s or maybe the 20s, had created an algorithm that could read modern history and show them how to basically see the future and calculate everything. Problem was, is they didn't have a way to do the calculations quick enough, which is being answered by what you've written here, Jason, the onset of the computer. So yeah, they absolutely knew that they had the math to get done what they wanted to do. What they didn't have was the speed of computation. So yeah, they did know. A lot of this, by the way, came from Bill Cooper's work in his book, Behold a Pale Horse, as well as some other things that he commented on. Another person, as others we have covered, who basically we have hindsight now, he hit it out of the park over and over again. He was not wrong. So there's that. And that's public information. Again, more public information that just gets ignored. In order to implement this objective, it was necessary to create secure, and apply new weapons, which, as it turned out, were a class of weapons so subtle and sophisticated in their principle of operation and public appearance as to earn for themselves the name silent weapons. In conclusion, the objective of economic research, as conducted by the magnet's capital or the banking and the industries of commodities or goods and vices, is the establishment of an economy which is totally predictable and manipulative. In order to achieve a totally predictable economy, the low-class elements of the society must be brought under total control, i.e. must be housebroken, trained, and assigned a yoke and long-term social duties from a very early age before they have an opportunity to question the propriety of the matter. In order to achieve such conformity, the lower-class family unit must be disintegrated by a process of increasing preoccupation of the parents and the establishment of government-operated daycare centers for the occupationally orphaned children. And I might add that looks like they pulled that off in the 1960s. They've pulled off every step of this. I don't think anything that's been laid down here is even 
questionable at any level. And the people like Coleman, like James Shelby Downard, like all the things that we've covered, Cooper, um, Maxwell, they, they all said things that we can look backwards and see that what they said was correct. There's a thing I'm going to say here. Are you aware that there's never been a law in this country, in the United States, which applies to you, the living man or living woman? Not one. That's why we've all been turned into corporations. Now, people are going to argue about what I'm about to say, but I don't really care because I know what I'm talking about. And I've done enough research to comprehend why the corporate you, the straw man was created. This could be a blessing in the long run because what it shows is that these people who were taking control of the world realized that they couldn't mess with the creation of God, the man, living man or living woman. So they created the corporation, the corporate, the make-believe. And then they coerced people to become responsible for the fictitious entity. One thing that's never changed is we are all still creations of the creator, and we are all still granted the rights that we are granted. And that could be the undoing of all of this. Before we go on, I will say that what I suspect currently at this juncture is that they are going to get total control. I just don't think it's going to last very long, but I think in the short run, they are going to wrap it up in a bow. And then I think it's all going to fall apart. Anyhow, Jason, let's keep moving. As Fortune can no doubt confirm, the quality of education that was given to the lower class was moved from what it was in the modernism period to gradually become of the poorest sort. The amount of ignorance that was created in the masses by isolating the inferior class from the superior class made it almost incomprehensible to the inferior class of what had been and still is being done to them. With such an initial intellectual handicap, even the brighter of the lower class individuals have little, if any, hope of extracting themselves from their assigned lot in life. This form of slavery is essential to maintaining some measure of social order, peace, and tranquility for the ruling upper class. It's true. You can flat out tell someone, like an example, one of the things Fortune and I have been talking about lately is the just absolute hoax that home ownership is and has been and what it actually means. And so as we've covered in other episodes, to be a person who has a title makes you an entitled person. An entitled person can actually own things. And that's where the separation starts to set in. In the 50s, we were all convinced that, oh, great, look, America's great. We can all own homes and a car. And it was true. Dad would work, mom take care of the family and the kids, one person working, and it was bountiful. People did have homes and all these things. Didn't last very long. By the time the 70s had come around, the amount of indentured servitude that was going to be required to own a house was going to be at their whim. As an example of this, in San Diego, when I was growing up, they passed a proposition called 13. And it froze the taxing of houses and property taxes to that, whatever it was, either late 60s or maybe it was mid 70s tax rate. Well, recently they rescinded that. So the tax rate jumped from what it would have been all those decades ago to now. And the property values have been artificially inflated. 
this is the scam. And by the way, the very loan you take to buy a house, the word itself tells you it's a death debt. A mort, mort means death, gauge, a death debt. And you can tell people and talk about this all day long and nobody's buying. Nobody's going to consider it because we don't know anything different. And this is the system we know. And in this country, the goal is the American dream or was used to be the American dream to own your own land, to own your own home. But that's part of the catch too. You never did own it. That's why eminent domain and other things could take it. And what's that come back down to? It comes back down to that bogus identity that we were talking about. So this paragraph that Jason wrote is spot on. It is a system that has been enforced for decades upon decades, and it is one-sided. It is us and it is them. And the class war is basically two classes, the entitled and the unentitled. You know, there's a funny thing about taxes, especially in the United States. The amount of taxation that we are put under in the modern time is so out of control comparison to what pissed off the colonists who would become the revolutionists, the founding fathers. It is an astronomical difference. It's unreal. I would invite anybody. You know, we had, I've got a lot of family on my mom's side that comes from places that we would call socialist. Their taxes are high, like 50% or better. But we were sitting at a family reunion years ago, I think it was 2015, and I started calculating and I came up with eight, roughly 80% of my money is spent on taxes, all the taxes, sales taxes, you know, just every tax you can think of. And you've also got to include the things that are actually a tax that are not called a tax, but nonetheless, they're levied against you. In other words, you have to do it as if it was a tax. Yeah, the whole system is basically designed to ensure that there is very, very little upward mobility. April 12th, 1952, John Foster Dulles, who would later become the Secretary of State, said in a speech to the American Bar Association in Louisville, Kentucky, that treaty laws can override the Constitution. He said the treaties can take power away from Congress and give them to the president. They can take powers from the states and give them to the federal government or to some international body, and they can cut across the rights given to the people by their constitutional Bill of Rights. A Senate amendment proposed by Republican Senator John Bricker would have provided that no treaty could supersede the Constitution, but it failed to pass by one vote. You mean by design? It failed to pass by design? Because the corporation that we call government is actually a corporation, and we're not bright enough in this country to recognize that what we call a government is a corporation, and we're not quite quick enough on the draw to recognize who a corporation serves. A corporation serves itself. A corporation serves the board of directors. A corporation serves the shareholders. A corporation serves no one else. By the way, that last point has been debated, but it appears to be true because what happens every time they do sign a treaty? The United States government goes right along with it. Well, let's talk about this for a minute because there is an idea. I wish I would have realized we were going to get into this. There is an idea that typically the original intent of a treaty was only could be made between countries. In other words, a country could not make a treaty with a corporation like the UN. So 
that's an interesting idea, um, but we would have to dig in. But while we're talking about Dulles, I was recently in a position to ask a question to someone who knows. And I asked, is it true that there's like this whole big underground thing under the Dulles airport? And I was looked in the eye and told, absolutely true. So that's going to bring us to the top of our one. And we're still only in the mid-1950s as far as the timeline we're unwinding here. The amount of things that started coming out throughout the 20th century of people shooting their mouths off about a new world order, a world government, all that kind of stuff, it's kind of ridiculous. I actually skipped a whole pile of them just so I wasn't giving boring quotes. But over and over again throughout the 20th century, you had a lot of major players on the world stage saying that they needed to abolish individual countries and establish one world government. All right. Well, I'll close our one of episode 524 in this way. There is no law that applies to me, the living man, the entity that was formed at the zygote and gained life in this go around later took the first breath at the birth canal coming through the so-called port port of entry on my birthday. Uh, there is no law that applies. We've got to get back. Everything we're talking about is an abrogation of the truths that nature show us about the creator, about the creation. And what's interesting is like not too long ago, if you look at how they began to break these morals, they made fun of them. They were squares. They were taking all the fun out of life. They were any, any which way they could make fun of it. And now that we have arrived where we are, we can look back and we begin to see the golden value of morality, which is a thing that we have lost at a level that's almost hard to imagine. My point being is the very thing that is true about each of us will always be true about each of us. And everything that's happened here has been a clever workaround to deal with the fact that there is a higher, what would we call it, for people who are not religious, there's a higher power. There is something that created this creation. There is some mechanism or something that granted me the rights that I have, free will, the divine spark of life, the provable fact that I am a beneficiary of this creation because I can go out and freely drink water from a stream or freely stand in the sunlight of the light of this world. Those things have always been true. They will always be true. And for this to work, which I think it's going to in the short run, by the way, as I said, I think they're going to get it in the short run, but for it to continue to work, that clever workaround has to constantly be in place to convince people to forget their godly origin. With that, we're going to bring hour one of episode 524 to a close. Hour one is free to everybody at pro777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episode, which is typically write at about two hours. Uh, they get access to all the forums. There are many of them and comments under each episode, which tend to be centric to that topic. Also, they get access to the two-hour film called Shoot the Moon, which has won about 10 awards out on the film festival circuits. And with that, we're going to prep up for hour two. And I'd like to wish each and every one of you a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing.